everybody. Welcome to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, the show that takes you on the deep dive of what's happening in and around the industry, not just locally here in D.C., but all around the country and sometimes even internationally. So here we are at the wonderful wine lair. Um, the last couple of shows, I was at the Duck and the Peach because the Napa Valley Vintners were in town and I did some great shows there. But this is my home and I love it here at the wine lair. And if you haven't had a chance to check it out, you really do need to see it. It's a private wine club right next door to the Ritz-Carlton in downtown DC. And it is so cozy and so lugs and so posh. And I get to do my show here and you should come and see it. Uh, so for those of you who are new here, hi, uh, Nikki Nellis. I've been covering the DC food, wine and hospitality scene for 20 years now. Uh, check out the list, areyouwanted.com, the online e-zine that tells you absolutely everything that's happening in the DC metro area like openings we'll be getting to in a second new openings events etc it's all in there of course you hear my husband david and i every sunday on 1500 that's foodie and the beast we've been on air now for 14 years dc's only food and wine variety show follow me at n-y-c-c-i-n-e-l-l-i-s on instagram facebook twitter linkedin and YouTube, you can subscribe because you can watch this show. Uh, let's see. Oh, so for those of you who tune in regularly, you know that I talk about where I've been, what I've been eating or where I've been traveling. Um, so because I already recorded two shows this week, I've only been to a few places, not as like, I had, don't have a week's worth. I only have three days worth. But as I said, Napa Valley Vintners were in town. We were at the Duck and the Peach and um, the winemakers just poured incredible, incredible wines. There were over 25 winemakers in town. Um, there is a show coming up on it, but I just want you to know about the kinds of wines that are coming out of Napa Valley right now. And I actually had the opportunity to be at the Smithsonian that did a dinner there. I want to get the name right. Um, it was called Napa Valley Wines in Changing Times. They had Andy er Erickson of Favia, Donine Dyer of Dyer Vineyards, who is the most amazing woman, Doug Schaefer of Schaefer Vineyards, and lastly, Martin Rias of the Rias Wine Group. They all told their stories and they all poured their wines, but most importantly, they really shared the kind of effort it takes to make Napa Valley the oasis that it is. And if we want to keep it, what we have to do to make that happen. So I was um, really delighted to be there for that. Um, also gathered a group of boss babes over at Nobu. Yes, if you don't know, there is a Nobu here in DC. And honestly, the sushi is pretty pristine. And the lounge area is such a great place for a little cocktail party. Um, Felipe is the bartender and he makes amazing, amazing, unique cocktails. So if you're into that kind of thing, you should check that out. And of course, uh, check out Chef Chico Sushi. It is really delicious. Um, okay. So like I said, since, uh, it's my third show this week, I don't have a lot of places that I've been, but those were all good places. Um, but next week there will be even more because the White House Correspondents Party at the Ambassador of, uh, Japan is this week. Uh, what else do I have? Oh, I'm checking out David Deshaies' newest place, Love Makato. And I've got another trip up to DC. Quick one, back and forth. It is to celebrate the famous alums of the CIA. And that is not like, spies. That's like Culinary Institute of America. So we'll follow up on all that next week. Okay, on to today's show. So Sahil Rahman and his partner Rahul Vinod 
Uh, they are the two behind the wildly successful fast casual concept Rasa, exhibit A right here and B right here. <laughs> um, and honestly, I'm kind of feeling a little old because years ago when I started my business, I met Surfy Ramon <laughs> and uh, Surfy's business partner, Chef Benoit, uh, when they opened Indique in Cleveland Park. I know that's not their first place, um, but that was in 2002. And these two men were really part of an incredible wave of immigrant-owned restaurants in the city that helped change not just how diners ate, but also how diners perceived cuisines from other cultures. And they were really part of a wave of change, especially in this city that, you know, there's not just one Indian restaurant, one Chinese restaurant. There are lots of them because cuisine is, is, comes out in so many different ways depending on who's cooking it. And they were part of that wave. So it's, it's such a delight today, um, to bring Sahil here today with me. Uh, Rahul could not join us, but because um, you've really turned the industry on the head with a, I hate calling it a fast casual concept, but it is a fast casual concept. And you, I, your entire life has sort of led you to this moment because today you just opened up your fifth rasa, <laughs> right? Did. It all happened today. It's literally opening day today. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me. I'm so glad to have you here today. Yeah, I'm honored to be here, honestly. So I hope I gave you enough of an intro, but I'd love for people to have a better understanding of your background, um, sort of growing up here, your first generation, mm -hmm. and what in, in Maryland, Gaithersburg, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, so so Rahul and I are local guys. You know, we both were born and raised in Montgomery County, and uh -huh. growing up, it was it was very confusing. I mean, um, I, it's something I've been reflecting on in recent years. But uh, I kind of grew up as this Indian kid in the American public school system in this very Catholic Christian kind of environment. Mm. Growing up in a household that was sort of half Hindu, half Muslim. Okay, and so. You know, that was all a bit above my my age range as a kid. But one of the areas where it really showed up in like this notable difference kind of way was with food. Sure. And so, you know, growing up, you'd go to the cafeteria at school and, you know, my mom would pack me yellow dal or chicken curry or things mm -hmm. like that. And very early on, I mean, it's so early that I don't even recall when this was. It must have been in like second or third grade. I realized I just wanted to be like the other kids. Mm. It was. Did uh, somebody say something? Did somebody make fun of the food? Did somebody say that smells funny? I mean, kids say stupid things, whether they mean it to be mean intentionally or just because it comes out of their mouths. Yeah. So do you do you do you think that that could have happened? Um, you know, I would say that it's remarkable. It's it's easy to forget how dramatically American culture has moved, and. Yes. That's, that's true in a lot of big ways, right? Mm -hmm. In the way we relate to the LGBTQ community, the way right. that we relate to the African-American community, the Asian community, and, and so many other... Well, especially in the last couple of years, there's been a, a dearth of information. Right, and it's, it's been like, it's, it's been actually quite a rapid upgrade, maybe overdue, but mm -hmm. one of the things that we really experienced growing up was, you know, The Simpsons was, was most people's association with Indian culture, right? Like Apu, the 7-Eleven character. Oh my God, that's so horrible. <laughs> like, thank you, come again. Right. Right. And then you had 
9-11, which is sort of a difficult branding moment for the Brown community. Yes. And so... Wait, when were you born? I was born in 1990. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, actually, there's a great show on Hulu called Rami. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got an episode on... It's like a flashback to him growing up. And it's on 9-11. And I feel like for, for anyone in this country, it's such a powerful... It's actually... He's a comedian, but he does such a powerful job telling this story. And, mm-hmm what it was like to be a brown boy growing up around that time. I bet. And so, um, yeah. And so it's just, R-A-M-I? Uh, R-A-M-Y. Why? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing show. Okay, good to know. And so, uh, yeah, it's actually quite funny today. Like, growing up, you know, it's like, oh, Indians have funny accents. They smell. We don't like the food. It's all spicy, yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. And today, it's, like, kind of hot to be Indian. It's It's really funny. I mean... Every person's trying to go to an Indian wedding. So many Fortune 500 CEOs are Indian. We're the wealthiest group in the country. It's like all of these things where Indians have gone from sort of this perceived lower class community Mm. that was sort of othered or dirty or not in the mix Mm -hmm. to today. And, you know, there's there's a lot of complications and subtext within it. But today it's such a fascinating moment where Indian culture is really cool now. And people yes. are starting to see the vibrancy, the color, the flavors, the music, the movies. Mm-hmm. And it's been uh, it's just been such a beautiful journey to be able to experience some of those more challenging aspects. But then also today to see our culture and our cuisine being seen. Well, and celebrated. But I think, you know, what's interesting, if you talk to people of German descent, Italian descent, Jewish descent, when mass immigrations came from certain communities, you know, Chinese were not allowed, you know, Italians were not allowed, Irish were not allowed. Totally. You know, so there's always the other right. until they're not. Do you know what I mean? The assimilation. Yeah, 100%. And then usually what I think is interesting is usually your generation, the first generation that, mm-hmm. you know, that's sort of born here, usually kind of like in shoes tradition hmm. and says to their family, I, I'm American. I don't, and then and I don't want to be a part of that. And yeah. then it's usually their children who sort of like, wait, what's, what is that? Can we go back for a minute and find it? You know, usually totally. it sort of skips a generation until people feel comfortable with who they are, mm-hmm. you know, but clearly that didn't happen for you. Something changed. Yeah. You know, it's been such an interesting journey. So, I mean, the, the story with Rasa was really that we didn't get it. So Rahul and I grew up so spoiled with good food. But now, wait a second. You guys were good friends? Oh, yeah. So I've... Because your dads are business partners. So our dads worked in hotels in India back in the 80s. Oh, my God. And Rahul's father, Chef Vinod, actually came in 1985 leading a team of chefs for the Festival of India, like on the Smithsonian to show off Indian cuisine to America in the Mm -hmm. 80s. Liked it so much, he decided to stay. Through the Immigrant Whisper Network, it just so happened that three months later, my dad moved to the same part of the country. Okay. You know, there wasn't WhatsApp, there wasn't phones in the way we've got them today. But he said, oh, I heard Vinod's in town. They link up, end up start working at the same restaurant. And then after five or six years working together, there's a, there was a Indian restaurateur named Jack Katyal, and he hmm. owned a few Indian restaurants in the area. He's like the true OG. Okay, because everybody thinks it's a shook. Oh, definitely not. I know. Definitely no, not. Yeah. <laughs> we're not putting down a shuk. But like a shuk sort of gets, you know, because of Bombay Club and Rasika, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, um, 
Yeah, I will throw some shade. He totally copied our design at his new restaurant in Nospols. It was like oh. so classless in a way that I was like, whoa, like wow. to the color of the seats to the pots. And I'm like not one to throw shade, but it's just like, dude, get some creativity. Yeah, do your own thing, which is surprising because that's so out of character for him. Right. It was like, you know, kind of gratifying. It's like, oh, wow, you really see what we're doing. But yes. Like, okay. Like, come right. on. So anyhow. Um, <laughs> so, total sidebar there. Go ahead. Total sidebar. So uh, yeah, a little bit of industry spice. But um yeah, our dads basically moved here. And then in 1991, mm-hmm. they opened up their own restaurant mm-hmm. uh, called Bombay Bistro in right. Rockville, Maryland. Mm-hmm. And so they opened that. And it was yeah, like, when they opened up that restaurant, and I don't want to spend too much time on your dads, but I think they really educated you. They gave you so much because they've been in the business for so long. Um, were, were they opening it for a specific community? Was there a big Indian community out there that they were looking to feed or were, did they think, no, we have something to give to everyone? Where do you think their heads were? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I feel like it was just their dream was mm-hmm. to share Indian food with more people. It's what okay. they, they both went to hospitality college in India. But what, who was from the North? Who was from the South? Well, and so, so I think that's what's so interesting okay. is Chef is from Kerala in the South. Okay. And my dad is from the East in Bihar. All and right. So, our families don't make a lot of sense even in Indian context mm. because Rahul's dad is from the South right. and his mother is from Punjab in the North. Oh, okay. And so those are like different countries. They speak different languages. Right. The cuisine is entirely, I mean, there's some similarities, obviously, but totally. there is a total difference. Totally. Access so, to products, just there. So Rahul's mom was like the hot hostess at the restaurant that they were working at. And that's okay. how they met. So you would have never had that happen in India. So it's mm-hmm. kind of cool that that happened here. Right. And so they wanted to showcase flavors from the South and the North because a lot of the restaurants here were Northern Indian. Mm. And so I thought that was just so cool that they were trying to bridge even amidst right. Indian cuisine. Well, especially since it took a long time for regionality to hit restaurants, even Italian restaurants, right? So like if you looked at Italian Mm. restaurants in the 80s and 90s, they were just Italian restaurants. Do you know what I mean? It was more red sauce, even the finer dining ones. You know, Roberto Dono was probably one of the early ones. It's like, no, I'm cooking from the region I'm from. But Roberto Dono would say, uh, if they want a caprese salad in the middle of winter when the tomatoes are terrible, I don't care because they'll pay the money for it. But, you know, I mean, he did say that. (laughs) I'm not dissing. That's a fact. Um, But there now, if you look around the landscape, you know, people are proud of regional cooking and they want people to understand the regional cooking. Do you know what I mean? So they were really ahead of their time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I mean, I've heard this said many times and I actually believe India is the most diverse country on the planet. Yeah. Which is so interesting because we think of like American diversity, but in India, there's 400 languages that are spoken. Wow. And so if you get dropped in any point in that country and you move 100 kilometers in any direction, the language someone speaks, the food they eat, the clothing they wear, everything is just so different. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's really, really exciting nationally to see all of these folks uplifting cuisine from different parts of the country. So it's not just like Indian food. Right. It's, it's like, what is your version of it? Exactly. 
Okay. And so they opened a bunch of restaurants. Mm-hmm. You two guys hung, hung out together. You went to high school together. So we actually wrote the business plan for Rasa in high school. I, uh, I won 500 bucks from a black sorority. We were on uh, WPGC 95.5. What did you win 500 bucks for? I was in this like high school program at Gaithersburg High School where we... Like an entrepreneur program? Totally. And we like okay. submit... You're like, oh my God, like sweet green. So we, we like, you know, I submit a little... Uh... You know the sweet green story, right? Oh, yeah, Of yeah, course yeah. you do. You know those guys. <laughs> yeah. But like they did that at Georgetown. Yep. And so since I was and 16 or 17... And they're all but go ahead. <laughs> I've really just been thinking about trying to figure out this puzzle of, you know, I knew chef's food was amazing. I didn't understand why people felt the way they did about Indian cuisine. And so we would actually start bringing our friends, you know, our non-Indian friends. Wait, what did you think people thought about Indian cuisine? They were scared of it. It was just... Spicy? What, like, what do you... I mean, I grew up eating Indian food. I grew up outside New York City. Like, we went for Indian food all the time. I think people are are sometimes scared of what they're not familiar with or what they don't understand. And so... People were really worried that it was all spicy. People were worried that it well, was the just scent of never the scent before. of curry is um, can be misleading. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Especially if you're not familiar with it. Totally. I mean, there's lots of curry smells, obviously, but um, so I I can see that people would think that when I smell curry, that's going to be spicy, even mm-hmm. though that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, it's flavorful. It's it was it was just spice. It was just foreign. Right. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I mean, India today, talk about a transformation. India of today versus 1990 or 1970. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different world. And so if you saw a movie of India, it was like crazy to the American mind. Sure. And so I think that the food itself also had this foreign sort of scary. You have to be very adventurous to try it. Mm. And so what was kind of cool was as Rahul and I were growing up, we started bringing our friends we're like, hey, look, it's my birthday. You got to come. Or it's, you know, okay. it's my dad's restaurant. Just give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And so when they'd come, we'd say, what do you like? Let us order for you. We know you're a little intimidated. Mm-hmm. And uniformly, people just fell in love. Mm. It was to a point where friends, non-Indian friends, would be coming back for birthdays, for first dates as we got older and even graduations. And so over time, we realized that the problem wasn't actually the food. Mm-hmm. But it was the way that people were being introduced to it. Mm. And so that was really the spark that kind of that kind of lit this fuse for Rasa, I mean, almost 15 years ago. Okay. So what was your original business plan? Like, how did you, what inspired hmm. you? Like, I hear you wanted to get Indian flavors to people in a different way, a non-traditional setting. So mm-hmm. what was your initial plan and, and how did that evolve? You know, it's funny. It's it's actually pretty darn similar. Okay. Uh, Rahul and I were both obsessed with Chipotle as like every 15-year-old was in right. the late 90s, early mm-hmm. 2000s. And so uh, it was really, you know, we were looking at it we're like, oh, we got rice, we got chicken, we got we got all these different okay. components. And so, yeah, I actually, I, I called it Calpio uh, Geo, which uh, translates to like eat, drink, and be merry. Okay. It's like something I came up with with my mom way back in the day. Uh-huh. You know, Rahul was talking about, oh, that's Chipotle. We could call it Chapati. Or, you know, we were like thinking about different <laughs> I think that would have been a problem, but yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. And so uh, the, the initial vision was, it was probably more like a noodles and company model where you ordered and then you got a ticket opposed to the build your own, but mm-hmm. pretty darn similar. Okay. So you decided you wanted to do that. You did this in high school, mm-hmm. but it's not like you just 
jumped in and started Rasa. You went, you both went to college. Yes, we both went to the University of Maryland. Uh-huh. Uh, Rahul graduated a year before I did, and he started working in investment banking. Uh-huh. I had a very different path. I didn't really have many traditional jobs. I worked at Uncle Julio's one summer to learn how a corporate chain operated, and then. Uh, so you wanted, you knew you wanted to go into the industry. I did, yeah. And how did your dad feel about that? I think he thought it was a phase. Okay. <laughs> and so, uh, I mean, I'd be curious to hear his take, but I, after that summer, I found an internship with Outback Steakhouse. Okay. And that was actually in Southeast Asia. And so I spent a summer traveling around Outback Steakhouse selling Typhoon Blooms and doing market studies and all this really funny stuff. And so That must uh, have been an incredible experience. It was my first time traveling alone. It was my first time in Southeast Asia and I was 20 years old and it was... Must have been mind blowing. Fabulous. Like okay. I'm so grateful to have had that experience. And sure. It's a big part of why every time I meet someone that's in their late teens, early twenties, I'm like, go travel. Mm-hmm. It's just so important. I can't just. Disc- I mean, I'm all for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So you go and have this experience. Yeah. And, and then. then- <laughs> so my dad calls me. It's it's senior year of college, and he's like, "Hey, uh, hey, Beta." All of my, uh, my friends' kids are getting jobs. Yeah, like, what are you doing, dude? Literally, it's just like, so I just wanted to check on how you're doing. And I was like, oh, well, I was going to do that restaurant idea we talked about. And he just gets very quiet. Uh-huh. And after a minute or two, he responds and just says, um, with whose money? Yeah, where are you getting the money? That was my question. <laughs> and, you know, somehow, despite, uh, despite studying business, it was a question I'd never asked myself. Mm-hmm. And so literally the very next day, I applied for a job at Deloitte Consulting. Somehow ended up getting a job there, and um, and that that was kind of so. Next how long were you path. at Deloitte? So I was at Deloitte for about a year and a half. Okay. And while I was there, it was just such a circle and a square hole. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt. Yeah, you know, I cannot see you there at all. <laughs> I just can't. Very grateful. Learned a lot. No, no, no. I'm sure, but it sounds soul crushing. So I can't even imagine. I learned a lot. And mm-hmm. one of those things is that I don't function super well in a corporate environment. Right. And so as all of this was happening, I, I moved to New York. Rahul was there. And one night we got together to speak easy. He was unhappy in his job. He was mm-hmm. trying to figure out his next move. Now, did he have the restaurant bug too? Or was he like, yeah, I don't need to do that? Um, you know, I think Rahul was a little bit more on the straight and narrow, right? Like he got straight A's. He played tennis. He did... He played piano. He was like kind of the good Indian son in a lot of ways. Okay. And yeah, I think he'd say it too. And I think this was kind of a really, it was always in the back of his mind. And, and when, we, when we first chatted about it, we met up at a speakeasy and it was kind of like, hey, do you remember that idea we talked about all those mm-hmm. years ago? Like, why not? Right. And so- Well, yeah, because there's nothing out there like that. Right. You at, know, the, at that time. What, what, what it really was for me was I was walking around New York and we were seeing- all of these other brands. At first, it was just Chipotle, right? Right. It was like just Chipotle. But then it was Cava. Yeah, and then Cava launched. Sweet Green. Then... I mean, Sweet Green was in the salad. I don't think you can compare Sweet Green to Chipotle because it really was. You know, I was walking through Nomad different. or something like that, and I remember seeing like Numpang and a few others. Sure. And I was like, oh, yeah. It feels like maybe America is more ready than I thought for mm. this idea because I knew it was too early back in the day. Sure. And this this thought. I couldn't get away from this idea of if if we don't try this now, we're going to spend the rest of our lives wondering. Mm. And, and we knew someone was going to do it. We said, why not us? No, you're 100% right. Somebody would have done it. Yeah. And so... Uh, so, so then how'd you go about... So you're not a chef. Neither is your partner. 
I mean, you have a chef in the family. We so do. how we did do. you go about <laughs> making Rasa a reality? Gosh, it was a, a lot harder than we thought. <laughs> we were so well, naive. The good things in life oh always my God, are. Yeah. We, uh, we, I was like 23 or 24. And so, mm-hmm. so we spent a summer working on a business plan before we decided to do it. And, you know, I've, I've found that life works in really poetic ways. And so there was, um, we had a family restaurant called Indique Heights mm-hmm. in Chevy Chase. The landlord wanted to turn it into a doctor's office when our lease expired. I think it is a doctor's office. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a med spa. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. So, we were having like the final dinner. And so Rahul and I came down from New York and in this very birth and, you know, death and rebirth kind of karmic mm-hmm. way at the last dinner for Indique Heights, mm-hmm. we're sitting at this long table with our parents and kind of talking about all the good memories there. We'd both done our graduation parties there. It was a very special place for the family. Sure. And we both had decided we were going to tell our parents that day that we wanted to build our own restaurant. Oh my restaurant. God, did they both cry? Um, our moms seemed like they were going to have a heart attack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, not again. Right. We just we just did this. Right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they saw that we were pretty serious about it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so we ended up, we both uh, left our jobs, rented a U-Haul. Like, literally, we rented a shared U-Haul in New York, drove down together. Mm-hmm. And, like, I literally moved back into my parents. We both moved into our parents' houses and our parents' basements. And, okay. It, uh... But let's talk about the concept of Rasa. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about menu development. Then we mm-hmm. can talk about site selection. Like you must have known then that if the first one is successful, we can cut and paste, cut and paste, cut and paste to a certain extent based on the region where you go to, right? So how did you go about creating your, as you did your business plan, what did your menu look like? Yeah. And what does, and how does that menu work for people who haven't been there? Yeah, for sure. So, and I was just going to say, I just have, I think the, the thought that's kind of moving through me is I just have such a profound respect for anyone who started their own business, especially mm-hmm. people in the restaurant industry. Our dads had owned restaurants for 25, 20 to 25 years at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think it was so easy for us to look at it. Like we had yeah, business know. degrees and we worked at fancy companies and there were certain things where we're like, oh, we would change this, we'd do it this way. Right. We're like, oh, like we're, we're going to do it better. <laughs> and gosh, it was so humbling. I was just like, this is such a hard industry. Mm-hmm. And so for us, the process was really interesting. We, um, we moved home and the first thing was actually, how do you raise the money to start a restaurant? Right. And as to- And how do you know how much money you need for a restaurant? Right. It right? Because was... you have to build out a kitchen. Totally. And you need very- and given that your concept was completely new, nothing that either of your fathers had done. Totally. You needed to know what that setup was going to look like. Right. Now that you know all that, I mean, how many times I know, I've walked into kitchens before and thought, yeah, they didn't do this right. (laughs) Do I mean now I'm not even a chef in the industry, but I know where certain things are supposed to be Mm -hmm. and how that works. And I've walked into so many kitchens being like, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so, so to kind of answer your, your initial question, we really started with this vision of how do we, this question of like, how do we make Indian cuisine accessible? Mm-hmm. And I think that vision's continued to grow and evolve. But to, to really answer that question, we started thinking about the design initially, the okay. design of the physical space and then the design of the menu. Mm-hmm. And so for the physical space, we started thinking about what were all the barriers that we ran into? Right. Like people would say, oh, we did a lot of we we interviewed 500 people. We did a lot of research to try to understand 
what was it that was preventing like people now liked Indian food but they didn't eat it that often and so something didn't add up mm. and so we tried to figure out okay like you like Indian food but you only eat it once or twice a year where is the where is the friction in this experience and so what we found was that first was actually where they were located a lot of Indian restaurants it's changing today right but like back then and this was seven eight years ago and right back then a lot of Indian restaurants and in many parts of the country they're in like strip random, malls. random strip malls yeah they're in strip malls so you gotta first get out to this random strip mall mm-hmm. and then from there you walk in and you've got like Taj Mahal paintings on the walls the our music's playing there's like these white tablecloths and you it's know. not how people want to eat. Yeah, it's just like men and mustaches and like that. Vibes. Yeah, you know, like the vibe. It can just feel really foreign, right? Of like... Well, or formal. Yes. Right? And then when you sit down, it's not always the fastest. A lot of restaurants are kind of heavier. And so it's not quick. Sometimes you don't feel great after. And then it's also not always cheap. Mm. And so for a lot of people, this ended up resulting in them ordering like a chicken tikka bakdi and garlic naan. Or going to an Indian restaurant with their Indian friend. Mm. And so he said, all right, how do we how do we flip these a little bit? And so we kind of backed into the fast casual model, actually. It was We started thinking about the problem first. And we said, all right, let's put it in a location where people are. So we said, let's go by the baseball stadium. So smart. And a big part of going by the baseball stadium for us was we wanted to know if this was going to work not just with the D.C. crowd, but people who were maybe in the suburbs or people who weren't always right there. And mm-hmm. so we opened there and then we said, how do we make the storefront really inviting and something that's going to pull people in? Mm-hmm. And so we got this big door custom built in India. And then we tried to design it to have this like modern kind of fun vibe. Right. So that was sort of the design piece of the restaurant, which we felt was like really important to, to make it inviting, modern, young. Right. We wanted a space where if you were Indian, you knew, but if you weren't, you were like, this right. is just a cool spot. Yeah. You want to make it approachable? Yes. We wanted to make the food really approachable, right? And for us, that looked like, let's keep the flavors we grew up loving, Mm -hmm. but do I really need to call the chutney Indripoli or can I call it tamarind ginger, Mm. right? Do I really need to go with the Carolyn name for this dish or can I call it tossed green beans? (laughs) You know what I mean? And so that was kind of the path we took of let's maintain the authenticity of the flavor but let's be able to introduce it to people in a way that feels a little bit less intimidating. Okay. And so that's kind of, you know, we tried to make it quick. We tried to make it healthy. We tried to make it accessible. And, and that was kind of the initial vision. And how did you execute it? So let's fast forward. Yeah. First, how'd you get your money? Oh, gosh, it was a crazy process. I mean, we literally talked to anyone and anyone, like anyone and everyone who would give us five minutes. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, I was driving Lyft at the time to support myself while learning at our dad's restaurants. And I'd literally be pitching people while I was driving them around, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, (laughs) yeah, it's kind of, kind of hilarious looking back, but yeah, I mean, it started with our family and friends that dried up pretty quickly and we would, I would literally like show up to entrepreneur networking events. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd look at people's shoes and their clothes and be like, okay, this person seems like kind of rich. Let me like go talk to them. And so that was, that was really a full year of, of our lives, like just going to networking events, talking mm-hmm. to different people, getting a lot of rejections and then finding the people that really believed in us. And then you, your first site selection was uh, in the Navy Yard, Correct. right by the stadium. That was a totally brand new building. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So were they amenable to building the way you needed? Because that can kind of be tough. 
totally. sometimes with a new build. Yeah, so it was funny. Like people didn't want to give us space because, you know, we were two 25-year-olds that right. had no track record of our own. Yeah, this is before like Silicon Valley model for restaurants, but yes. Totally. I mean, at the time it was... I mean, if you looked at our strip when it first opened, it was a Chipotle, a Chopped, mm -hmm. a Taylor Gourmet, which is a big brand at the time, and mm -hmm. Roti, right? And so these are all four regional or national brands. Right. And then there was a Rasa. And so how did we get in there? I actually wrote the guy who ran the company a letter. And I said, look, I know you don't want to give us this spot because you don't trust that we're a young local brand. And at the same time, who are you trying to attract to your building? You're trying to attract me. Right. An upwardly mobile millennial, Right. Think about what you're trying to do. Right. We are the target audience. Put a target brand in. Mm. And it was really hard for us to get spaces. So we were super excited that they, that, that kind of resonated with them. Right. And then from there, you know, we had to learn everything from architecture to interior design to building out a kitchen. So who built out things. the menu? Who, did you both do it together? Yeah. So it was a super collaborative process with an old uncle. Um, okay. I call him an old uncle, Chef Vinod. Okay. And... Yeah, I mean, wait, do you call him old uncle or an old uncle? No, 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 Vinod. Oh, <laughs> but I'm gonna start calling him an old uncle. <laughs> That's what I thought you said. I was like, old uncle, does he know you call him that? Okay, sorry, go ahead. He, he will now, he okay. will now. <laughs> no, he's he's like my second dad, he's, he's the absolute best. And so, um, with him, we we wanted him to just help create the menu, and he was like, no, oh, really? Yeah, he was like. No, you need to learn how to cook. And so here we are. I was living in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Rahul had a cool apartment in the Lower East Side. We both were partying five nights a week, just having a blast. Right. 20, living your best life. 20, young 20-somethings in New York City. Right. And then three months later, here we are living in our parents' houses in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Again, you know, shout out to Gaithersburg, but not where I wanted to be at 24. Yeah. Slicing 50-pound bags of onions, crying in the kitchen of Bombay Bistro, you know, making samosas by hand, doing everything in the kitchen. And it was just like this old sensei just being like, all right. Right, wax on, wax off, right? right? Yeah, and he'd, he'd leave us in the kitchen with the team, and then every couple hours he'd come in, just, hmm, mm -hmm. and then walk away. Well, but what an education, you needed it. And it was so great. And so I share that because that was the foundation of our, sure. our journey. And from there, it's been this really cool process of, all, including my dad, all four of us really talking about different ideas. Mm -hmm. And the way we've designed the menu, it's been pulling flavors from all over the Indian subcontinent. But then also, like, we're Indian and we're American, right? Like, we both were born here in Shady Grove Hospital, right? right. And so for us, it was such a cool experience to say, hey, like, this ingredient grows here locally. But we're Indian. Can we do something fun with that? Mm. And try to find that authenticity to us and to this region as well. And so it's been a very, very um, kind of like collaborative process. Well, that must be fun because it you're not you're not so structured that you can't evolve and grow because you do mm -hmm. need your concept to continue changing totally to keep it fresh, right? Like totally. people want to see once you've given them a taste, mm -hmm. they want to try and more. And it's fun too, right? To like get in the kitchen and just. Right. It's, it's so funny to watch him work. He's like a mad scientist and he'll just throw a bunch of things together and all of a sudden it comes out amazing. Well, so for people, so walk me through the process. I walk into Rasa. Totally. So okay. What, into, what am I doing? Yeah. So you walk into Rasa, you get I into mean, line. I have been there, but go yes, ahead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For, for those who haven't been. <laughs> right, right. So <laughs> when you come into a Rasa, the way it works is 
the flow is very similar to traditional fast casuals, whether it's a cava, sweet mm-hmm. green, or chipotle, or whatever mm-hmm. that might be. But when you come down, we've got two different paths you can go with. So we've got set bowls. So these are some of chefs' favorites, combinations that we've put together that we know work really well. Mm-hmm. So we've got four non-veg bowls and three vegetarian options. And everything from a Tick a Chance on Me, which is our most popular chicken bowl, to the All We Need Is Love, both of Here, which Here, why don't you I've... take them out so we can look at them? Yeah, absolutely. So... I've brought a couple bowls for you. So Thank you. This one here is the... It smells so good. Took a chance on me. Okay. <laughs> and so this one, it's got a base of white basmati rice. We mm-hmm. top it with some chicken tikka. Mm-hmm. From there, we add our homemade tomato garlic sauce, some sautéed spinach, as well as a mm. few pickled veggies. We've got pickled radish and onions, as well as a cucumber salad. Okay. And then we top it off with a minced cilantro chutney and a cumin yogurt. Mm-hmm. And that's probably our most popular bowl. It's kind of like a take a chance on Indian food, take a chance on me. Right. And then this one, we, we try to have fun with the name. So this is Alu Nita's Love. Okay. And like Alu means potato. <laughs> and so this is a sweet potato bowl. So this one has our lemon turmeric rice, the sweet potato tiki, the tamarind ginger chutney, as well mm. as some charred eggplant, beets, and the radishes. I mean, they're both beautiful and they smell delicious. So people can come in and get a set bowl or they can make their own? Exactly, so they can build their own. And that was something we, we, were, we were really excited about because when we talked to people about part of why they didn't eat Indian food, one of the things they, they told us was there was a lot of mystery. They're like, we don't know what's Fear. bubbling in this sauce or uh-huh. whatever it might be. And so we actually designed our restaurants to have pretty open kitchens and we wanted to actually lay out all the ingredients to be as clean and clear as possible so that people could say like, oh, that looks great and allow them to kind of eat with their eyes a little bit. Well, but I would also assume you'd have to have a really well-trained staff. Yes. But which in the fast casual world is not easy. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if you're looking to educate people mm-hmm. or educate the wrong word, no, so, so we, use the, it word, is, we it, use the word tour guide. Okay, and so I, I want that's us, a good way of doing it. I want us to be like culinary ambassadors right. and tour guides that are kind of guiding people through an experience. Right. And it's it's really hard. <laughs> it's really yeah. hard to do. Right. Yeah. I would imagine so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would imagine it's really hard to get uh, employees on that level excited about the kind of food that they're serving and, and you know, as excited as you are, right? Yes. When it's your product, <laughs> it's always more exciting. Totally. Um, okay, so you've got this concept. Mm-hmm. You guys launch it. It launches pretty well. Was there a lot of hiccups? Gosh, it was batshit crazy. Oh my okay. god our our first our first week. I mean, we had my aunt was rolling non. <laughs> my little sister was doing dishes. My dad was on the cash register. It was like a family comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Reality show in the making. Oh my God, for sure. We had like the chef from Indique. We were doing everything like such small batch, and it was. It was like cooked to order food to like it was just total madness. And uh-huh. so um it uh it's been so cool over the years to and to be on like to be talking to you today. Right. Five years in I on know. restaurant five. We've we've just hired a chief operating officer and you know, he told me to stay out of the kitchen this week. And I was like, okay, all right. That's good. This is such a new a new dynamic. And so um But at what point with the with the initial space mm-hmm. were you like we can open more. Now, do people, because listen, I've had John Asadorian on this show and totally. other people in the real estate world. John's a good friend, yeah. Oh, I mean, I love him. Yeah. He loves to gossip. That's why I love him so much. Um, he's a wealth of gossip. I love gossiping <laughs> with John. But I do know that 
you know, the real estate guys, you know, the guys, you know, I use guys like men, women, um, non-binary, whoever, Mm -hmm. but I, the people in real estate, when they see a concept and it looks successful, Mm -hmm. not even looking at the numbers sometimes, you know, they're like, Hey, I got a space over here. Totally. So you guys must've gotten hit up pretty fast. It was such a cool experience to go from, I mean, literally having to write a letter, almost begging someone to give us a space Uh to today. And, And there was this distinct moment, you know, I think it was shortly after we got some good press, people started hearing about who we were where not only were other landlords in DC starting to reach out, but folks in Maryland, folks in Virginia. And over time, that's really continued to expand where people in New York or Boston or Chicago or Florida have started to take notice of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's really neat to be able to look back. And, and even, you know, even some people who wouldn't answer our phone calls are now calling us today. They're like, and, uh, hi. I'll answer your phone call. Yeah. Uh, so, so where so are your properties? Cool where are you guys? Yes, yeah, so we've got two locations in DC. So we've right. got one. Our first one's in Navy Yard. Yep. And then, you know, as a wild journey, we've opened three since, I guess four now since the pandemic started. Right. So we opened our second one, August of 2020 in Mount Vernon Triangle, right by the convention center. Excellent uh, location. So that's on 5th and K. Yeah. And then in July of 2021, we opened up in... Crystal City, or the area formerly known as Crystal City, National Landing. National Landing. Um, And uh, from there, we opened up our fourth restaurant, our first in Fairfax in the Mosaic District. Oh, great. So that was kind of cool because that was our first suburban restaurant. Mm -hmm. And today, we just opened up in Maryland and Montgomery County, our hometown in Rockville. In Montrose Crossing, So we're truly, we're now truly DMV based. That's amazing. Which is pretty fun. That is um, (laughs) incredible. And do you find now, like I mentioned before, sort of the Silicon Valley sort of model mm-hmm. that restaurant like restaurants like yours like Kava and Sweet Green mm-hmm. these fast casual concepts have adopted this sort of Silicon Valley way of growing. Mm. Do you feel that you guys have taken that as a part of your growth process? It's a good question. And I know I'm we're... full of them. Yeah, Hello. you are. You are. You're a very good. Very good interviewer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I would say yes and. Okay. And by that, I mean, we did raise a Series A, which was kind of fun. So we mm-hmm. um, we took on some capital from a fund, a female-founded female fund, which mm-hmm. is maybe the only in the industry called Relevant Partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's these two women based in New York City. Okay. And so that's been that's been a huge accelerant for us. It's allowed us to build our team, sure. open new restaurants. And through that, we actually were, were really fortunate to bring on the former chief operating officer of Starbucks. Uh, a guy named Troy Alstead to our board. Mm. And so that's just been super cool to have someone who is, you know, running such a large company. I uh, couldn't believe he was interested. I was like, well, this is, this is really cool. And right. uh, yeah, to have that kind of support from folks who have seen it from a much, much uh, higher vantage point than maybe we're seeing it today. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say yes. And in the sense that we've taken money from a private equity fund. We well, are, you have a board. I mean, you're not just mom and popping it. You know what I mean? Totally. And at the same time, we love mom and popping it, right? right? It's like part of what's so fun about it is being at the opening, meeting all of these people, talking to different community members and hearing how what we're doing matters to them. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's, it's a really, it's a question that's really alive for us right now around, you know, we want to grow this brand. We want to be able to introduce more people to our food, to mm-hmm. our culture, to, to kind of help build a sense of belonging in, in the communities that we open in. And at the same time, you know, wanting to be really mindful to, to kind of maintain the integrity and soul of what we're doing. Well, I think that's 
probably the hardest part as you, like they kicked you out of the kitchen. So do you know what I mean? And that Don't for worry, me, we're still, we're still making all the color. No, 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 yeah, I know. We're making all but the color. I know yeah, you're yeah. cutting the onions, but um, <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, you still want to keep your, you, in order to grow, you have to keep, you have to change the pots that your fingers are in. Totally. Right. But it must be hard because the integrity is so important. For you know, sure. we've all seen where integrity fails, right? We've all seen when something goes too big, where they're not able to mm. either maintain the integrity or or adapt to the area they're in. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't want to be a McDonald's, right? You just don't want to look Definitely not. Do you know what I mean? You want to yeah. you want to fit into the communities where you're opening to be interesting and enticing to those neighborhoods. Yeah, we want to help change the food system, right? Mm-hmm. We want to be a brand that introduces people to new flavors, right? Like I think that there's a lot people disagree upon in this city, right? We see that there's a lot of conflict and gridlock and all of that's, this. I think that's kind of national. Totally, totally. And I think one of the few things we can all agree upon is a good meal of food. Mm. And I sort of see what we're doing with Rasa and the food that we're sharing is a bit of a Trojan horse mm-hmm. in some ways of being able to use Indian food to open people's minds, right? Maybe they don't realize it's Indian food right off the bat mm. and they become a regular and they come three, four, five times. It's something we've seen with people coming from rural Virginia to baseball games. And someone will walk up to me and be like, oh, I come here before every game. This is my favorite restaurant. Like, what kind of food is this? Isn't that amazing? And when we say Indian, they're like, no, I don't like Indian food. It's like, are you sure? And then I'll look, I'll point at something on the wall. And they're like, oh my God, that's from India. And all of a sudden you see this thing happening. You see someone's brain changing, their mind opening to this idea that maybe this perception they held could change. And these are 60 year old people I'm talking about. It's no, not, no, 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 I kids. hear you. But also with kids, right? Being able to introduce kids to something new. Right. And I think, I think that that's one of the ways that we can help change the dialogue. And maybe someone who tries this is walking down U Street and sees an Ethiopian restaurant. And so it's like, well, I thought I wasn't gonna like Indian. Maybe we. Maybe I'll try this. No, it's so a. We want to. We want to help a good open point. people's minds through. It's like as silly as it sounds. I think this this little bowl of food has the opportunity to help open people's minds and and create a sense of connection. I love that, and I I applaud it. And I I think you're right. Um, I think democratizing food is really what's important. And open it does. Sitting down at the table is where conversations happen, right? Totally. So I love that. All right. Tell everybody, please. I mean, I could talk to you for hours, but the show has got to end at some point. So tell everybody, please, um, where they can find you, where they can find Rasa on Instagram and mm-hmm. online and everything. Totally. So uh, we are on all of the social platforms at Rasa, at R-A-S-A on mm-hmm. Instagram, on Twitter, you can find us on Facebook as well. Great. Uh, my name again is Sahil Rahman. I'm at underscore Sahil Rahman on all of the different platforms. And uh, yeah, again, we just opened up our fifth restaurant today in Rockville, uh, over in Montrose Crossing. Mm-hmm. And we've got two in DC, two in Virginia. So look for our big, uh, our big colorful doors and our, our big signs. Um, is there <laughs> any more coming soon or are we just gonna sit with this for the moment? I'll, uh, I'll keep you posted. Okay, I would love and, that. And thank you again. This, is, um, this has been a true pleasure. Oh, mine too. Thank you for joining me. I'm just going to wrap up. So hold on one sec. So I want to thank you all for joining us again for another industry night with me, Nikki Nellis. Um, I think we had an amazing conversation today and food is an open 
door for so many people and it changes the way people think. I don't know why there's fear with food, um, but there is sometimes. And I love what Rasa is doing as a way to change that conversation. Um, so if you haven't been, now here's your opportunity to go. Um, but also, please don't forget everything you heard here today, you can find on the list are you want it.com. You can also follow me at NYCCINELLIS on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and now YouTube. Please subscribe and, you know, ask some questions. Ask me questions. I can always get in touch and get you answers if you have any. Um, and let me think what else. I think that's it. So here I am at the Gorgeous Wine Lair, another industry night wrapped up. We'll see you next week. Be safe out there. Produced by HeartCast Media.